Hey, everybody. How's it going? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Before we get started with this episode with Andrew Hitz, it's an amazing episode. I know you're going to like it. I just wanted to let you know of three things. Number one, the Hits Academy is going to be doing an Inside the Practice Room with Rex Richardson, Trumpet Virtuoso, uh, on June 12th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. And this is an amazing opportunity. Uh, the Hits Academy, this series, Inside the Practice Room, they basically ask amazing guest artists to come in and do a deep dive into their practice sessions where you get to understand everything about their warm-ups, their routines, how they solve problems, etc. So if you're interested in that, I'll leave a link in the description where you can click on it and go check that out. And if you use the discount code REX, you'll be able to get into that event for just $19. Uh, if you're not able to get there uh, on June 12th at 2 p.m. Eastern time, uh, it will be available long-term in the Hits Academy archives, but the code will only be good for the live event. So you're going to want to check that out. If that interests you, like I said, I'll leave a link in the description. Number two, uh, make sure you stick around to the end of the episode because our mastering engineer, Brandon, has been leaving awesome secret messages after the episode, after the uh, the outro. And so you're going to want to check that out uh, to hear what that is. And then number three, I want to take just a second to thank our sponsor for the podcast, Houghton Horns. For those of you that aren't familiar, Houghton Horns is a family-owned business in Keller, Texas, and their mission is to spread the joy of music through providing the highest levels of products, services, and resources to the brass playing community. One of my personal guilty pleasures in life is diving down endless rabbit holes on YouTube for all kinds of educational content. You can find so much information for literally any kind of topic you're looking for, including music education resources. Unfortunately, not every source of information is full of great information. One of my favorite things about Houghton Horns and what actually raised my awareness of them way before they ever became a sponsor for this podcast is their YouTube channel. They have so many high-quality recordings and tutorial-type videos for players to learn from. It's clear to me that by supporting Houghton Horns, you're also supporting the creation of high-level music educational content for so many students to benefit from. At Houghton Horns, they strive to put service to the customer as their top priority. Whether you are a beginner student, a hobbyist, or a full-time professional, Houghton Horns can help you find what you are looking for. Go to HoughtonHorns.com for more information. Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and on today's episode, I'm just incredibly excited. This is, I was... Telling Andrew, this is a long time coming for me. Um, he's uh, founder of Pedal Note Media and Hits Academy. He hosts the Brass Junkies podcast, whom uh, many of you are probably familiar with, and also the entrepreneurial musician. Uh, he was in the Boston Brass. You've just been all over, done a whole bunch of different things. So I'm excited for your perspective. But uh, uh, for me, it's just it's cool to get to have a chance to talk to someone who's been doing the thing longer, I can get some perspective, I can get some some wisdom. 
uh, from you. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> You're not paying me enough for wisdom. Uh, well, next time maybe. <laughs> we'll see how this goes. Um, but anyway, it's just really cool for me to get a chance to actually get to know you a little bit. I've, I've certainly through Same. social media. So uh, it's great to actually just sit down and talk with you. So first of all, thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate being invited. Thanks for having me. Uh, as always, we'll just get started with uh, some of your backstory. You can take us back as far as you feel is relevant for us to kind of understand how you got a, an association with music, and we'll just go from there. Yeah, sure. Um, I will say that I had an unremarkable start. Just I went to, you know, my in fourth grade, the band director had us all come into the band room and like herded us in. All the instruments were at the front of the room, showed us how to make a sound on all of them. He asked for volunteers. I raised my hand. Uh, when I raised my hand and stood up, he saw I was tall. I wasn't six foot four at the time, but <laughs> that I am now, but I was like, you know, on my way to six foot four as a fourth grader. So he handed me the nearest large instrument, which happened to be a tuba. And um, so I'm like an original tuba player, not like a trumpet player with like crappy high chops or, uh, you know, like, a, you know, like or a trumpet player who can't play faster than half notes or, you know, the usual suspects. Uh, and then I just played and, you know, and made an awful noise and laughed and it was awesome. And then I and I, I did I caught on like freakishly quickly and I practiced like 15 minutes every day, which at that age you do that. It kind of like, you mm -hmm. know, and then. And then I um, I started taking lessons pretty early, but you know my parents weren't professional musicians. Like I didn't start taking piano at age three or you know violin at age five or anything like that. Um, and then um, I ended up uh, meeting Sam Palafian uh, when I was in middle school, and then I attended the Empire Brass Seminar uh, the summer after my freshman year of high school. Uh, when I was 14, and that completely changed my life. Um, I was already really serious about the tuba at that point, uh, was studying with the guy in the Boston Symphony. Um, but that kind of like, you know, put everything on kind of a, a rocket-like trajectory. Um, and then uh, went to Northwestern for my undergrad, as as you know. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, studied with Rex Martin. And then was uh, Sam Palafian's graduate teaching assistant at uh, Arizona State, uh, where I... Actually, um, I was actually kicked out of graduate school uh, the first time, uh, but it was like, technically I was kicked out, but it was all amicable. I was actually on the road so much with both Dallas Brass that I was a member, and then I was subbing with Boston Brass that uh, no one was mad, but I was the TA and they couldn't keep, like they couldn't justify the position if I yeah. was never there. So <laughs> Sam called and said, hey, do you want the good news or the bad news? And I said, what? I could hear he was happy. He said, the, the bad news is you just got kicked out of grad school. He said, the good news is you just got kicked out of grad school. Congrats, Hits, you're doing it. So, um, and he said some other words, but I don't know if you allow cursing. So I just edited, <laughs> I edited Mr. Palafian uh, posthumously. Um, and then I, uh, I won the Boston Brass Audition that following summer, just a few months later, and did that for 14 years. Um, traveled, uh, played in almost 40 countries with Boston Brass, most of those uh, multiple times. Um, and then I got off the road to raise a family. I was already married, but wanted to have, uh, have a kid. And, um, and I've been, uh, I've been in that like second phase of my career now for the last like seven years, I guess, which, um, I don't play nearly as much as I used to, but when I do, it's, you know, with like the National Symphony or the Baltimore Symphony or the Kennedy Center Honors Orchestra, like I get to do like really, really amazing stuff. Um, but I used to, you know, I used to be playing concerts like, you know, 150 to 200 days a year, which is uh, which is behind me for now. 
Uh, and now I do a lot of teaching. I do a lot of online stuff with uh, Hits Academy live events and um, Brass Junkies events and uh, TEM coaching that I do, which is like, you know, music business coaching. Um, and so I kind of wear like a lot of hats now because uh, I'm my own boss. Um, I'm my own boss entirely or Pedalo Media. There's three of us who are all on the same wavelength and who complement each other. Uh, you know, our strengths and weaknesses well, but I get to largely make my own schedule and um, which is, which is pretty amazing. I'm, I feel pretty, pretty lucky. So that was kind of long winded, but that's kind of the short version ish of like getting some young backstory. <laughs> I was going to say like, quite to today. I was going to actually ask you if you have done that before. It felt very like, <laughs> like you had not rehearsed it, but you've just said it before. You know what I mean? I was going to say well, the opposite of long winded. Well, okay, they're, they're, you know, it's like, uh, it's one of those things where somebody's like, you know, like when somebody's like, oh, what do you do? And then I, you know, then you you ask somebody that and then they recite like the long version of their bio, you know, it's like, no, 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 no. I was just like, okay, you're a cello player. Okay, got it. Like, I didn't need to know, like, you know, I played for Rostropovich in a masterclass when I was 11 and, you know, um, I've done so many interviews now that I know, like, you know, I tend to know what an interviewer is looking sure, for. Sure. So it's a, you know, and, and also an interviewer can always say, hey, Hits, could you talk about that part some more? Rather, that's easier than just like editing out after you just sure. sit there while I talk about something endlessly. Well, and it's good. I mean, we can just dive right into the stuff that I care about because um, we, Please. like basically it's, I'm glad you went through that because, you know, I am, I'm diving into a lot of this online stuff now myself too. To some degree, I hope that I can transition more into doing this kind of stuff more full time if possible, mm -hmm. right? I believe it's possible. It's just the time it takes. And mm -hmm. so the first question kind of I want to, or the first topic I want to broach is like, <laughs> sometimes I phrase it as who told you that this was okay, right? Like who said it was okay for you to do all these other things that were probably not really something that existed uh, or wasn't sort of a popular way to go about doing your career. I'm just curious, like, gosh, I have so many different questions about everything you said, but I think we should start there. Just like kind of what, sure. what uh, let's say something with like Pedal Note Media or any of those, like maybe start with something like that. What caused you to want to sort of go down this road and, and develop that and all of the things that came with it and from it? It's a, a great question. Great couple of questions. Um, the... I would say that I learned uh, none of these specifics because he didn't do any of it, but Sam Palafian really, like his career, he, I mean, he founded Empire Brass, but that wasn't, I mean, they certainly were not like the first brass quintet, but it's not like there was like this like wealth of like, you know, Empire Brass and Canadian Brass and all these groups that were making a living at the time. Uh, Canadian was just getting their start. Um, and they started that from scratch and made it a thing. And then he did Travel and Light, which was a tuba and like guitar slash banjo duo, you know, which like the world was not exactly like screaming, like we just can't find anybody to fill this <laughs> void of tuba and banjo music. <laughs> yeah. um, but he and Frank Vignola, I don't know if you've ever heard any of that, mm -hmm. of that music, but it's like, uh, I mean, like, Put it this way, find their Christmas album. It's all on YouTube and like listen to, there's like a New Orleans street beat version.
version of Jingle Bells, which like you might listen to like five times tomorrow. Like it's and, and it's like May and it's just Christmas music. <laughs> it's like they're just two like absolutely just smoking musicians who have their own like really, really loud creative voices that when the two of them combined created this third completely separate creative voice. And then the world was like, and by the world, I mean a super tiny corner of it was like, oh, it turns out we were missing a tuba and banjo duo. If it's going to sound like that, yeah. then like my apologies, you know? Um, and that's why like, you know what the world doesn't need uh, to go on a tangent here is another brass podcast and yet guess what the world needs another really cool interesting remarkable brass podcast sure, sure. right like there yeah that's the i wouldn't say that anybody's like i just wish there were more because there's like a lot of them now <laughs> yeah, yeah. um and yet like we need you if you whoever you are uh, uh you know i don't mean you you know we we already know that we needed yours but like if you're listening and you're thinking about it like do it like we need yours because you're not and don't just do a. Don't do an impersonation of Ryan's because, like, if anybody wants that, they're going to, like, go to Ryan, who does the best Ryan impersonation around. And if they want an impersonation of the Brass Junkies, they're going to go to the Brass Junkies. Just do your own thing and put it out into the world. Um, so Pedal Note Media, uh, Lance LaDuke, who um, is uh, one of my partners at Pedal Note Media, we were the two founders. We um, knew that we wanted to get off of the road with Boston Brass. Um, it was an amazing like dream come true way to make a living. I mean, I was traveling the, all over South America, Europe, Asia. I mean, it was like um, unbelievable getting paid really well to play the tuba and eat the best food in the world. Like, I mean, it was unbelievable. But the road is, uh, the way I describe like the full-time road is similar to how like the Colorado River formed the Grand Canyon, you know, where it wasn't like somebody didn't wake up one day and be like, well, that's like 10 feet lower. It just slowly but surely erodes it over mm. time. And I knew that I just needed to get off the road for me for a number of reasons. And um, and I realized that um, in a, um, a non-ego way, but just in a sustainability way that I had a lot more name recognition as Andrew Hits, the tuba player for Boston Brass, than I did Andrew Hits, like without the second half of that statement. And so if I was going to remove the second half of that statement, uh, then unless I did something about that, it was going to be hard for me to be able to separate people from their money in exchange for me providing, playing, or teaching, or whatever. Um, and so that's actually when I I started um, andrewhits.com. That's when I started like a, a blog there, which at the time was called Andrew's Hits. Um, that's when I started my, uh, you know, my at Andrew hits uh, Twitter account. That's when I started my Facebook page. Like that's when I started like all of this stuff. And I actually had three years where I was parallel Boston brass and doing all of this side stuff such that, um, you know, I wanted to maintain my relationship with Jupiter, uh, with XO, you know, brass and, and it, it turned out they were worried that I was going to want to leave like when I left Boston Brass and I was worried that they, and it's like, it was a, you know, it was a great thing that we stayed together, but I wanted to make the decision easy for them that they absolutely felt like I was still going to provide value to them, even though I wasn't going to be in San Diego every year and in San Francisco a couple times a year and in London and in, you know, et cetera, where there's yeah. like value baked into that. And so then Lance and I decided like, you know, the, the business term is what's, what's your unfair advantage? And the unfair advantage for us that we came on, you know, upon is that just because of circumstances, 
uh, and like who we've played with over the years, like that I have Joe Alessi's phone number, right? I can text him or I can text Chris Martin or I can text, you know, and they text me back because we're buddies. And uh, that's not to name drop. That's just to say that there's a lot of people who would love to pick Joe Alessi's brain for 10 minutes, right? Or be mm -hmm. able to just talk like one-on-one -on -one with Chris Martin for five minutes sometime. Um, and, uh, and so we realized that back then that, you know, that we could get those caliber of people on the podcast and that, um, and we decided early that we wanted it to just be like we were hanging out, you know, we, uh, similar to, uh, you know, different, but similar to how you approach your podcast, which is just that it's very conversational. I love what you said. You're like, there's a number of things I want to, that I could unpack, but here's what I'm interested in, which is great, you know? Um, and so that was kind of our unfair advantage and that's how we, uh, and not that we were the only people, but we were the only people at that time who were hitting up these people into microphones to kind of, you know, and then like putting it out regularly. Um, and so, yeah, so to sum up that super long answer, like <laughs> Sam, Sam is the person who through example, not through words, um, through example, um, and I love your question, by the way, who told you this is okay. That's because I, there's many times that I've told my students, like I've given them explicit permission. I usually do some kind of like a, a motion to like, a, you know, like some sort of like I'm christening them or something, you know, like give them explicit permission to do whatever the hell they want to do with a career path. Um, and I think that being explicitly told that is really helpful. Um, but Sam just kind of showed me, he's like, yeah, just do whatever, you know? And that's like, he went back on the road with Boston Brass, which is like, you know, when he announced that he was going back on the road, uh, you know, I, um, I don't remember that I texted him or I called him and I was like, you do know you're old. Right. And then he <laughs> said, again, he said a couple of words that I won't say, um, yeah, you know, like lovingly, but not lovingly back to me, but you know, he he drew his own map like he you know he didn't just do the tour in a quintet get a big college job stay there until you retire and then like you know show up and get awards at uh you know tuba or itgs or wh whatever you know so that was kind of that's how i've kind of decided to make my own map is by having people around me who have made their own before me oh my gosh there's so much um it's like I had, I'm sure this happens to you. Do you get like eight questions as you're going yes. along? <laughs> Especially people that that talk as long as I do. Oh, yeah, you're good. like, oh, that's good. Duh, duh, duh. Then you're like, yeah, you just got to keep track of it all. Well, the three that I remember are one, I'm really curious about what the early stages of your efforts to individualize yourself, if that's a way to describe it. What were those early efforts like? Because we can see you now. I, I, I'm not even going to speak for anybody else. I see you now. And I see what it looks like with the things you're doing and like the the promotional materials and who you're getting. And like, there's a level, there's like part of me that's like, man, like it's not that easy for me, right? I know it's, but you get what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. I know that it's been a long, you've been doing this for a long time. And so I'm kind of curious mm -hmm. just from my perspective, but for the perspective of anybody who's interested in something like this, these, the early days are so much harder than, and people like, I never had an expectation that it would be easy. But it was right. so much harder than like what I thought it would have been. Same and same. Yeah. And then yeah. the next thing I wanted to point out is an interesting difference between our starts. Me starting my show was sort of born out of frustration that I didn't have opportunities that I wish I would have had to share ideas that I thought mattered to me, right? So mm -hmm. I just like, I'll just make my own. 
platform and I was woefully naive. And I was like, I don't think this exists. I might be the first one. You know what I mean? Like, so, and then slowly, what's cool is then you slowly start to like find a community or find like there's other people doing this kind of thing. And then like mm -hmm. you can now be, you know, picking their brain, stuff mm -hmm. like that. And then the third thing was you were talking about sort of drawing your own map. And I was, to me, it takes a, I mean, it's not that it takes a special kind of person. It's just like, it's not for everyone to do this kind of thing. And I'm just curious if you have thoughts. So let's start with the early times. I'll write all these down to make sure we don't miss them because I think they're all, or at least those two. So early time, yes. and then we'll dive into the like, you know, maybe it's not for everybody type situation. Yeah, sure. Yeah, the the early times of trying to individualize myself. Um, I will... Um, uh, well, I'll say that, uh, and this this should be obvious because no one does, but like I had no idea what the hell I was doing. Like I didn't, you, you know? I mean, I, I, um, I read a book called Crush It by Gary Vaynerchuk, mm -hmm. um, who is a, a great author. Um, he's intense. I like, I'll go on like a, like a couple of week binge of Gary and then I just have to, it's not an intentional thing, but I like have to like disconnect from him for like many months. Cause it's just so, you know, it's like, it's, it's like, it's a little bit like eating cheesecake. Uh, you know, I love <laughs> me some cheesecake, but after a while you're like, I should have eaten less cheesecake. Um, the, uh, but I remember, uh, specifically we were on tour in Brazil. Uh, we were outside of Sao Paulo and, um, we were at this brass festival, uh, for, um, for like five or six days. And so we had, um, you know, we were working hard, but since we weren't moving, you know, it's like, there was a lot of, there were multiple times in Boston brass where I played a concert. I arrived in a country, I played a concert, and then I went back to the airport and then flew to yet a third country all in the same day. So I didn't even like, but I did have to have my suitcase to get like my concert clothes out, whatever, but I didn't even sleep there you know it was like that's like and that's the first time you do that that's super exciting right because you're just like holy crap like how many people in the world are experiencing this you know but then after you do that a few times you're just like i am getting too old for this you know <laughs> so um but uh, you know like the those that trip to to brazil we were there for for a week whatever it was and i had a bunch of time and i decided that i wanted to start um you know that i wanted to start a blog and uh, a website. And I was trying to figure out what the URL was going to be. And, uh, you know, I, I was like, Andrew's Hits is like kind of a good, you know, it's like, it's a play on a musical. And, you know, my my last name is like the musical connotation. And it also implied that it was going to be kind of a wide range. You know, there's going to be some performance stuff, some like pedagogy stuff, some listening stuff. You know, I was like, this is really good. So I... um I went to uh, to hover.com is the one that I use to reserve the URL. And I typed in Andrew's hits. And before I even hit enter to check whether it was available, I knew it was available because what I was looking at was uh, what jumped off the screen at me was Andrew and then S-H-I-T-Z. <laughs> so it's like if you, <laughs> right? So I was like, yeah. So sure enough, that one was available. <laughs> So, um, you know, just as an example of like, I was like, it took a long time. I was like, great idea. That's a horrible idea. And then I, a funny side note, I went to Lance, who's like my kind of, you know, business sensei in a lot of ways. Don't tell him I said that. Um, and um, and I said, hey, I got an idea. And I was like, Andrew's hits. He's like, that's good. The play on hits. I was like, yep. And I was like, and then I checked the URL. And then he's like, yeah, it's perfect thing. And I showed him the URL. He's like, that's not going to work. I just, you know, like, so um, anyway, in a blessing, I ended up just calling my website, andrewhits.com. But 
that's just an example of like, I had no idea what the hell I was doing, you know? And I almost, I'm glad I noticed because it would have been Lance, by the way, after I reserved, he'd be like, dude, you can't use that. You were looking at it again, <laughs> man, you know? Um, when we first started the Brass Junkies, like we didn't really know what we were doing. And our first interview is amazing, but it's just because it's with Ryan Anthony. Right. And like, you know, and that was like with the the Cancer Blows thing, you know, and so it's like, but we didn't really know what we were doing. But like, but kind of like you said, like in terms of, you know, being naive and, and, and I, you know, I bet you weren't really being naive, nor was I, but that's still a good way to put it, where it's just kind of like, we didn't think that we were polished because like, my goodness, but we just ignored the fact that we weren't polished because it's impossible to be, po I don't care how good you are at a trumpet, if you've never like sat at the top of an orchestral trumpet section, I don't care how good you are at, at operating a trumpet, you don't know what the hell you're doing. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, like you just don't know, and and it doesn't mean that you're going to be bad at it, right? Because if you're really great, if you've done all the homework and you've done all the listening and all that, then your first version might be is going to be way better than somebody who has done most of that work, but not all, or has done significantly less listening or score study. But there is nothing. And this goes for all the seats for tuba as well, right? Like you learn what it's like to match with the bass trombone as well as the principal trombone. But then there's really the hierarchy in terms of note length and weight. And all that is like the principal trumpet who is, you know, it's like, so there's like, there's like a hierarchy, but you also have to be like delivering opinions as well. Because if you're just asking questions to match everybody they're not calling you back, you know? It's like, but, and so that was kind of like a, if somebody who doesn't play has never played orchestrally just heard what I said and was like, what? And you were just nodding along because you get it, right? Because yeah, there's yeah, like, yeah. there's a lot of directions that you got to be listening and matching and yet you got to be giving your own opinion because that's what they're asking for. Uh, and you get good at it by, you get good at playing in an orchestra by playing in an orchestra. You don't learn how to ride a bike by reading books on how to ride a bike. You need to just like make the podcast and share it. Your first website's going to suck compared to your fourth version of your website, unless you lack like all self-awareness, right? Like <laughs> yeah, you yeah. just, cause you just don't even know what to put, where to put it. Like you can't feature everything on your website. If you, if you have like nine tabs, like across the top, that's the equivalent of like the first time I tried to highlight a textbook, which was in like eighth grade. And I like, you know, the just whole the page whole was bright, bright <laughs> yeah. yellow, yeah, right? Yeah. Where it's like, apparently this entire page is all protein. You know, it's like where there's, you might as well just read it. It's easier on the eyes to just keep it the original <laughs> sure, white, you know? So if you, if you feature everything, you feature nothing, but you just, you know, and then you start to pay attention to other websites and then you look and see Ryan's website and go like, oh, wow, I really, really dig that. Or, or you look at Ryan's website and say, I really dig that, but I bet I'd dig it even more if it was that, but like just a little bit different. And then you, you know, and you just kind of, so you don't copy anyone else's website, but you just, you get ideas, you synthesize them. Suddenly you've got your own looking website. You've got your own voice on the podcast. You've got your own voice writing, you know? So I think the real lesson is that nobody has any idea what the hell they are doing. Period. And it's also really important to point out that um, the Brass Junkies, when we started, had an audience of zero. And that was in spite of the fact that Lance LaDuc and I had both been traveling with Boston Brass for like many years and for like a very, very, very tiny corner of the world. Like, you know, as a tuba player, like a lot of people know who I am in that super tiny corner of the world. And yet until any of them listened or decided to regularly listen, our audience was zero. 
right? I mean, so everyone starts with a zero audience, period. And you just got to grow it by showing up. Yeah, it's really important. Yeah, I mean, there's so much in there to to pick apart, you know? Like, when I started my show, I interviewed Demandra. He was my first one. And That's a I good one like, to start with. Yeah, I'm going to start with, I mean, I, I play, you know, I worked with him at Sanford at the time. So I was like, uh. I'm going to start with Demandre and everything's going to be fine. You know what I mean? Like this mm -hmm. idea, I just pick a big enough name or whatever. And yep. you're absolutely right. And one of the things I would love your perspective on, because I, I have found myself sort of falling into this trap where I'm judging the success of my podcast based on just watching the numbers, right? And if the numbers are going up, then it's successful, even if it's a little bit, right? But like, at least with my podcast, it looks like by the numbers, I've developed this like loyal amount of people who seem to show up every single time, but it's not like it has exponent, you know what I mean? It hasn't exponentially done anything, right? And so for me, for a long time, I have a different perspective now, but that was really hard for me because I was like, well, it almost feels like, well, nobody cares, even though the people do care because it's not growing. So I'm kind of, I mean, and I've come to the conclusion that like, I need to remember that these are real people on the other side and not just a number. And it makes it a lot easier to realize that like, this is, there's actual real value happening here. I'm kind of curious as your podcast started at zero and was growing, like, how did you manage that kind of thing of determining what success meant for you? And if you're headed in the right direction, I mean, it could be for anything, but I guess just for the podcast, what, what did that look like? I keep saying great question, which whenever uh, somebody who's being interviewed says that every time, it like sounds like it's just like they're stalling so they can collect their <laughs> thoughts. Like, I'm really glad that you asked me that, Greg. I mean, Ryan. Yeah, you know, like while you're while you're trying to, sorry, you look like a Greg, uh, you know, but, but that's a great question. Uh, it's like a really great question. Um, I think, um, well, let me first answer what I think is uh, how we should think about things is that, the one I've had a I had an entrepreneurial musician uh, episode uh, titled "The One Thing That You Can't Outsource," which is your own definition of success, like which is just so vital. I uh, when I got off the road with Boston Brass, I decided uh, because if you remember, I was um, you know it was amicable, but I was forcefully removed from my graduate degree, so I don't have a master's, right? Mm -hmm. So I was teaching at George Mason at the time, and if I did it slowly, I could get a master's for free. Like if I just did you know like a, a couple of classes at a time, uh, I could get it completely for free. And the the accepted route for uh you know for like a, a a top tier quintet player getting off the road is you either get like an orchestra gig or you get like a you know a big teaching college teaching job and that's kind of like what the I mean it's just so many uh people from you know from full-time touring groups have done that and so I took two classes uh I loved both of them but I was just like I I was like I'm no I'm not I'm not doing this like I'm not getting a master's degree so I bailed, you know, and then I, um, you know, and my plan originally was to, um, was to like, you know, to try and get as much freelance work around the DC area. There's a lot of work here, but there's also no joke. There's more professional tuba players in the DC metro area than there are in terms of classical players than there are in uh, New York and LA combined. Wow. Like no, because of all the service bands. Sure, sure. That makes sense. Like there's like, yeah, there's like the four major service bands. There's the army field band. There's there's Steve Dumain, there's, uh, you know, Aubrey Ford in mm -hmm. Baltimore, and then NSO. I mean, there's like, 
there's like over 40 professional tuba players here. I mean, it's like, it's insane. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm well, because Boston Brass was like, you know, you stand up at the front of the stage, right? Like I, I have a lot of connections here, but I realized that I was going to be hustling to get work, to pay for childcare. In other words, to pay to not spend time with my kid, mm -hmm. which I don't, I am, I have zero opinion of anybody using childcare at all, like, or daycare or anything. I'm just saying like, I was like, wait a minute. So I shifted to deciding that I wanted to essentially be a stay-at-home dad who could call in, you know, if the NSO calls, like, I, I am free. Um, but, uh, but you know, and so that was like, that was just a shift. So I have decided over and over and over again what my definition of success is. And it's funny, that's just like anything else, like hosting a podcast. I have found that I get better at deciding what my, uh, at changing my definition of success the more that I do it. And um, so to get back to the podcast, you know, at first it was kind of like, okay, our first goal was to was to actively stay relevant with Jupiter such that they that I've been I've had a relationship with them for a very long time. And um, and it's been a really good relationship such that when I go to a college for a residency or I go and get the clinic at a high school, they will kick me money uh, regularly because I they know that I'm going to do a great job and that I'm going to represent them really well. And I've you know, like they, they can help me get into conferences, whatever. There's like there's a lot of benefit there for me. And I wanted to make sure that they thought that it was a good idea to keep me, you know, like on their roster. And so this was a way for us to say high profile without leaving our houses, right? Because mm -hmm. Lance and I were both going from being everywhere all the time to like just being with our own students and that was it. Um, and then, you know, and we wanted to like monetize the podcast, uh, you know, and, and we do, we've got, you know, we've got some awesome Patreon patrons. I think we've got over a hundred of them at this point. Um, but if we were to add up the total number of hours that we spend on the podcast every month and then divide it by our Patreon amount and our advertising amount, um, my, yeah, that's like a, a disturbingly low fraction of yeah, what right. I charge for private lessons or what I charge for TEM coaching or that kind of thing. Um, but it's more than that. It's like building a community. It's like, you know, and guess what? This was not the plan, but we have since started doing live events for Petalote Media. I launched Hits Academy. Mm -hmm. It turns out that we, uh, in fact, just last night as we're recording this now, I interviewed uh, Demontre Thurman for this new series I have inside the practice room where he broke down for an hour about like his process of practicing and how long and like how he sets goals. And like, it's like, it was, you know, I learned so much from hearing people like him go like super deep on something as interesting and important as practicing. Um, but I actually was like for years was building a platform of people, you know, um, mm -hmm. that your, your average random trumpet player uh, in the country has no idea who the hell I am. But there are uh, a number of people who very much know who I am. Right, it's a small number of people, but there are there are like there's more than a handful of people who listen to the Brass Junkies and they listen to TEM and they do Hits Academy events and they the you know the when we did the Brass Junkies uh, you know trumpet workshop they signed up right away and it, you know it's like and you don't actually need that many of those people to make a living and so the key in terms of the numbers is it it would be better 
for me, I it's it's much better to say get uh, I don't know fifty trumpet players in the country or a hundred who like are are all in on everything that I offer is way easier to monetize than me being able to walk into the instrument room at ITG and have everybody be like. That's Andrew Hits, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, like, like to have everybody recognize me, but then not. So it's like, it's all about what are you looking for? And so we have built a community, which is what you're doing by continuing to show up and you continue to, to care and you're generous. Like you spend a lot of time thinking about who you're going to interview, what you're going to ask them, editing it. You know, it's like a podcast is great except for when it's not, right? Yeah, you know, because yeah. there are times when it's a real pain in the ass to put it out regularly, but you keep showing up. So you're building a, uh, you know, you're building your own audience and there's value there. I'm, and I'm sure also that it makes you a better teacher, right? It, it makes you a better player. Not every episode makes you a better teacher, but there are some when somebody touches on something and you go like, oh, or it's something that you've always taught. This happens to me all the time. Something that I've taught for years, but then I hear Demandre say it just slightly differently than I normally say it. And maybe it won't change how I say it, but maybe I've got that for when it, I'm just not quite getting that sparkle back in the eye from the student. And then I put it in the Demandre way with it, either calling it that or not. And then the student goes like, oh, and then the light bulb goes off. Yeah, I don't yeah. care if my way is what does it. I just need the light bulb to go off, you know? So, so I've kind of like shifted what, um, you know, money is good. Um, you know, and this is somebody who right now is having no trouble living indoors, eating food, and I have health insurance. So I want to be clear that I'm not, I, I don't ever want to sound, especially in a pandemic or not, that I'm like flippant to see, it's okay if you don't make money. It's just that there are ways to, there are, there's value that can come in ways other than just direct downloads or direct social media followers or directly monetizing something that can actually help like your entire output, if that makes sense. But, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. That's, I mean, I think there's a book a, long, a while back that thousand true fan or thousand follow. It's that that concept, right? That, a thousand true fans. Yeah, yes. you don't need necessarily, but it can feel like that. It can feel like I just need some sort of number and that will mean something in and of itself. And gosh, it's taken me a really long time to sort of rewire my brain to understand. And I think what comes with that when you're letting go of, like I said, the numbers that matter or sometimes even letting go of a particular idea that you think is a good idea, but it's either doesn't fit or it's not working or maybe it's not supposed to be, you know, monetized or whatever. What mm -hmm. I find is like the ideas like the podcast is it's so worthy, but there's the R, like you said, the ROI is generally not money. Uh, and you have to, as you have to sort of just make that deal with yourself <laughs> that you're going to do this thing that probably won't have this direct relationship with money. And that's okay because it means something else and it does something else. And that, um, how do I say this? It's hard to do that, I think, when, like when you have a job, it's one thing, right? But when, you're when you don't have a job or you're not making as much money as whatever to support, you're trying to do another thing, it's a worthy idea, you're putting all of your passion into it, but it has not had enough time to come to fruition, uh, I would imagine that's a very difficult place to be in to note that you just can't rush that process or it won't become what it could be. But at the same time, you like need 
and you're basically then burning the candle at both ends in some ways, which is what it sounds like you were describing with the Boston Brass and trying to do your own thing on the side. Yeah. So, I mean... You know, one thing, if I could interject absolutely. quickly, one thing that I um, that I found really helpful was when somebody pointed out explicitly to me that uh, you it's not necessarily a good thing to try to monetize every single different variation of artistic output that you have. Uh, case in point, uh, back when I was in high school, this was like, I don't know, 92 or 93, I went to, um, to Sam Palafian, uh, invited me to a, um, to a bed and breakfast in, uh, out in the middle of the Berkshires, uh, where he was playing uh, a, a free jazz gig, um, uh, you know, while while breakfast was being served, and it was like it was, a, but it was a very attentive audience. But there was like, I don't know, twenty five people in the audience. At one point, he took his mouthpiece off the tuba and like flipped it around and put it back on the lead pipe and was like singing into, you know, I mean, it was like that kind of. And and I love. Uh, I went to well, as you know, went to Northwestern. I actually went and saw like Ken Vandermark, and I saw a lot of like free improvisation in downtown Chicago. When that's done well, I love it. Like I love it. And this was one of those where it was done really well. But I didn't ask him, but I would guess that Sam probably got paid like 25 bucks for that gig. I mean, you know, it's like he got up and talked to the audience at one point and he had to ask the drummer what his name was because they had actually not really met because like, you know, he's like kind of busy and then they just started sure, playing. Sure, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. they didn't know each other. And so Sam certainly never tried to monetize like his like free jazz improv, you know? So, uh, and granted at that point, he was like Sam Palafian, you know, like of Empire Press and was like, you know, was the the guy, you know, like Tuba Yoda. But like, he was always like that, you know, where, so you can, um, you can do some stuff to pay the bills and then you can also do the equivalent of playing. Now, if you're in Chicago and you're really great at free jazz or you live in Oslo or you live like, there are a few places where you can absolutely make a full-time living as a free jazz player. But if you live in, in Dubuque, Iowa, or uh, even like Dallas, Texas, I mean, even some big cities, I'm not saying you're not gonna make anything, but there's not like a thriving free jazz scene to my knowledge in Dallas such that you could piece 40, 50 grand a year from playing the trumpet on free jazz gigs. But if that's what like scratches a really important itch for you, and then you can also do these three, you know, whatever, you have a studio of, High school students said, I mean, and if you hate teaching, don't teach because it's really, really, really an important job, you know? Right, right, but right. If you, but if you have that stableness, which would be nice if you could just disconnect and disappear for a month, but you kind of sacrifice that to get stable income, to be able to go do the free jazz thing, to be able to have a podcast that you don't necessarily need to directly monetize then you can kind of figure out, you know, like what your ratio is, but it's okay to have a thing or two that makes you absolutely nothing, right? Yeah. I mean, and some people can't afford to do like, you know, 30 hours a week of doing nothing, but just like, you know, like dabbling in really important stuff. If you love writing, you like writing fiction, but you suck at it, right? Then like write fiction, right? I mean, like, you know, and put it out there, but like, you know, the average Kindle book, like for real, the average Kindle book in its life sells less than 10 copies. That's like the long tail. Um, you know, because just there's like, there's like millions of books on the Kindle, you know? But if you enjoy writing, 
then write. It's going to make you a better trumpet player. It's going to make you a better podcast host. It's going to make you a better whatever to just like to get that out. So that was really freeing to me when I realized that I didn't have to try and monetize absolutely everything. Or if something only made a little bit of money, that was fine. That's why I love working for myself because I can adjust. Like Hits Academy is is new, but it's going really well. So I'm like, I'm, I'm pushing a lot of energy towards yeah. Hits Academy just because it's getting traction and like the events are, I mean, I'm obviously biased, but they're like, they feel like they're important. Like hearing, um, well, I did a, uh, I did a, a, a win in the audition with, uh, with Chris Martin who like went like deep on, you know, on, on like audition prep, but also on practicing. And it's just like, you know, it's like, I'm glad that he said all of that. Not that it's the only place, but I'm glad that he said all of that into a microphone for an hour and that it's available in my archives for anybody. Cause it's like, he dropped some important knowledge. Like it was just, and it was, and he's so good at explaining things. And cool thing about interviewing Demandre, right? Even though you worked with him, is like, you get to ask Demandre whatever the hell you want right, to ask right. Demandre. That's what's cool. Yeah, right? I mean, so, I, w I don't know if you feel this way about your show, but what my show has been is like, I don't want to call it therapy, right? Because it's not quite the same thing, but basically wherever I'm at as a human being, those are the questions mm -hmm. I'm asking. And I'm sort of just, yeah. and so it's cool because you can hear like a progression of like me throughout this process. Cause I'm not, I'm trying to just ask questions that I think are interesting. And mm -hmm. so at first it was, you know, trying to uh, like, it was just trying to figure it out. And then there was a period of time where you can hear that I, I would ask somebody, I remember in Tom Sider's interview in particular, uh, I, it was almost like I was talking more than him because it, I could feel myself having ideas that he thought were interesting and I did not see myself that way, right? I did not see myself as someone who could like have a conversation with Tom and be like, he'd be like, oh, that's a really interesting idea. So I like for a little while started being like, this is amazing. And also I tried to be like Joe Rogan for a second, you know? <laughs> and all of a sudden I'm just talking a lot and and it was le it was like sort of more about me and less about my guests and it's interesting to see how that evolution has gone where you like you said you're I've totally gone through many ver variants of what is this like what am I trying to do with with this podcast and so this is actually all headed to a question that's sort of related to what I was saying before too is just things take time to develop and and we can't, we shouldn't try to rush the process, but I'm also a believer that we really can't rush the process. And, right. and it causes, I think, anxiety and frustration when we do. Um, I know you're a big, if I'm not incorrect, you're a big proponent of talking about growth mindset um, versus fixed mindset. I'm just kind of curious if you want to try to synthesize a few of these ideas of growth mindset leading towards the it takes time you know so how do we spend that time basically like it's going to take a lot of time how do we spend that time so it's not incredibly frustrating incredible we're just waiting for the thing to happen but we're making good use of that time through sort of the lens of growth mindset yeah that's awesome um the uh i'll make an analogy to the practice room where uh, i always uh, make like a, a half pie chart. And then I have like, you know, almost, you know, probably 40 degrees of it is, um, 
is uh, boredom. And then on the other side is like 40 degrees, which is frustration. And then there's like 10 degrees in the middle where it's like, that's the sweet spot between boredom and frustration. And uh, frustration is if you are a high school trumpet player who's like, you know, you're you're getting there, but you're then just trying to like jump right into playing like, you know, also Sprock Zarathustra, right? And it's just like, it's not, it's not gonna happen because you just haven't done the work. And boredom is when you are, um, you know, when you're when you're trying things that are. Although, if you, you ever get bored, the real the real trick is to just raise your standards. Sure, <laughs> you know, yes. it's like <laughs> where you say, you know, if you're a trumpet player and it's something incredibly easy, and then you say, would Chris Martin, who's just on my uh, Tom Hooten, I'll spread the love here, uh, Mary Bowden, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. would would Mary play this better than I would? And it's a it's a disingenuous question on purpose. It's like, yes, she would. So then the question is, why? It's like, well, it's not because she can play really high and I can't because this is easy. It's just like the difference between good players and great players is is not a few really big things. It's like a thousand really small things. Mm-hmm. Like Mary's the the releases of her notes are freakishly consistent and the tone that she gets and she has I mean just the variety of ways that she can start notes, et cetera, right? But it's like really, really tiny things. So um so anyway, so you you gotta you gotta you know surf between boredom and frustration. And so um for me, when I'm getting frustrated that something is not growing well enough, and I'll be honest, still, it's like when I like launch, you know, I announce that I'm doing uh an inside the practice room with Demandre, you know, that um and I like I, you know, it goes live like I'm like, I'm checking the sales page right away, you know? And it's like, and if there's like five sales right away, I'm like, I'm feeling good, right? And if there's like none, you know, I'm like, what the, you know, I'm like, you know, I go check Facebook and there's only like two likes, even though I know that it's going to get to 80 and like stupid algorithm is, you know, it's like, I can still play these games, even though I've had so many successes that, um, which I don't say that, uh, the reason I've had a lot of success is because I've just tried so many times. We've had some big swings and misses, like really, really big ones. I could fill the rest <laughs> of the podcast yeah. with some swings and misses, you know? So it's like, so again, it, uh, it's not a, it's not, I'm not trying to say my batting average is high. I just have a lot of at bats. That's why I, you know, I've had a lot of successes, but I still can kind of be like, wait a minute. Oh, there's another one. There's another one. There's another one. Right. Um, but, uh, Jeff Nelson in his inside the practice room, he said something which was really, really like hit me upside the head. He said, and this was again relating to practicing, but it's the exact same thing with podcast numbers with anything business related at all. He said that he does not look for growth. And I was kind of like, huh. And then, um, he, uh, I don't know if I said that Jeff Nelson's the horn player in Canadian brass. He teaches at Indiana mm-hmm. University at the Jacobs School of Music. He's like, he's he's brilliant. Uh, he also has this fearless performance. He's a very successful business person as well as player, as well as teacher. And he's like one of the nicest humans ever. It's all very irritating. Um, <laughs> but, um, but he said he doesn't look for growth, that he just, he puts in... He, he he there's a process and he keeps showing up in the practice room over and over again and he knows that a byproduct of showing up every day is growth and i was like well there you have it right if i continue to put out uh, some would argue if i start to put out but i'll say continue to put out like quality live <laughs> events through hits academy then if i just keep doing that over and over and over again then like it is going to succeed, 
right? Now, is it going to make me a million dollars? I don't think so. Um, I, but, you know, like, but it's going to succeed if I keep showing up and keep getting people like Demandre or like Jeff or like Pat Sheridan or like Carol Yanch or, uh, you know, uh, Jen Morota, whatever, like, you know, talking yeah. about this kind of stuff. Uh, it's going to succeed, right? Um, and uh, and then the you know part of a growth mindset also there's there's some there's some specifics uh, that are different for each and every person is how much runway do you have, right? I'm putting a lot of time and a lot of energy into, and I have overhead, right? I I don't like say like, and Demandre is a very good friend of mine, but I don't say like, hey Demandre, I'll pay you fill in the blank if anybody shows up. <laughs> You know, it's like, you know, and like, I, you know, there are, there are a couple of people like, you know, Demandre wasn't like in my wedding party, you know, like I'm not going to do that to him. And if I had to like ask him a big favor, he would say yes, but like, that's not appropriate. Right. So it's mm -hmm. like, I'm paying him whether anybody shows up or not. Right. So like there is some financial risk there. Um, but some people have like way less of a runway than I do, which I, which I respect, you know, it's like, they have to make money. Um, or they can't afford to lose money. That's the nice thing about Petalone Media is we now, for a long time, Lance and I were each, this was before we added Will Houch and our third partner. Um, for a long time, Lance and I were each putting $50 into Petalote Media every month. So, which wasn't much, but we we needed to have like $1,200 a year to just be able to pay our bills without being like, okay, how are we paying for this one? How are we paying? Because Patreon was like, either didn't exist or was brand new and had like five people and was bringing in like, you know, 20 bucks, you know? It's yeah, like we're, yeah. and 20 bucks is like, that was building a community. It wasn't just 20 bucks. Because if it's just 20 bucks, be like, just keep your money, people. It's fine. It's 20 bucks, right? Um, but, but for, so for a while it was, and now like we're, you know, like the Patreon numbers, we've got over a hundred people on Patreon. So that, that pays all of our bills and has also given us a cushion to be able to, um, it's kind of like when you walk into a casino with like money that you can afford to lose. I don't gamble cause I have an addictive personality and I just don't go there, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but like that's different than somebody who doesn't have money to lose. And so if like, you know, we can have an event that doesn't go, and we haven't had any that have like truly bombed. Uh, we pulled the plug on one quietly that, you know, it was just like a timing issue. The world's also been changing so fast. And this one that we pulled the plug on was leading up to, I will not talk any politics with you, but was leading up to the presidential election. And like the, the I mean, there was like a major news story was breaking like, you know, every hour right. <laughs> you know, for like, yeah, yeah. it was just like, you know, it was hard to get traction on anything. It was just like, it was, it was, I've never lived through anything like like it. Um, and so anyway, but we can kind of afford now to, to, you know, to like not have something be a smash and to put a bunch of time in and just like make our money back and it's okay. Um, but the growth mindset thing, the, the word that I would, um, that I would, uh, you know, if you're new to it, first of all, the book mindset, uh, by uh, Carol mm -hmm. Dweck is really good. She's, uh, it's like, there's a lot of science and it's like, it is, was easily digested by this tuba player. It's like, it's very, <laughs> it's just, it's written in like a popular way. There's a lot of science, there's a lot of examples, but it's not science-y at all, right? It's like the, it's, it's the opposite of academic writing, like the opposite of, it's very conversational. But the word that I would implore everybody to look out for is the word should. When you say to yourself, this podcast should have more downloads or last week, you know, sometimes we can all act as if uh, we are entitled to linear improvement, 
right? Mm-hmm. That was a kind yeah, of yeah. a realization I made like a year and a half ago on a personal level. And then I've shared that with all my students where it's just kind of like, just because the first three events of Hits Academy were like, you know, here and then here and then here, you know, like, and then the fourth one might be down the fifth. It's all about trajectory. But like, if you can take any one data point and run with it, you can you can get too high, you can get too low. Um, and so, which is why it's ridiculous for me to be checking the sales like an hour after <laughs> I launch an event because like, you know, just because there's 10, does there might not be any for the rest of the day or it could be zero and then I could end the day with 25. I mean, you know, it's like, it's kind of, it all depends on, uh, well, it depends on a lot of stuff. So the word should, like I should be able to play um, uh, you, you know, like Petrushka more smoothly, or I should be able to, uh, to play, you know, also Sprock Zarathustra when I just grab my horn and I'm cold and I can just, you know, do it. Or I should, um, and should for me is always logical. It's never just like, yeah, I, I ought to be able to do that. It's like, I have been working on this thing in the practice room for for three straight weeks, and I have done what Jeff Nelson laid out in his inside the practice room, and I've got the journal, and I'm very organized in this, and it was on track to do that two weeks ago. And now, you know, it's like there's all this evidence, and and what I'm what I'm actually presenting to myself is evidence that reality should be different, mm-hmm. <laughs> which yeah, yeah. is like what what the hell is that? I mean, you know, like reality is reality, right? Yeah. Like. And so, um, yeah, I, um, the last thing I'll say is this, is that, um, that I, uh, I, I once heard somebody, some, one of the, uh, the best pieces of advice I've ever heard in my life was, um, this guy said, uh, he told me, he said, you have to abandon all hope for a better past. And I, that, mm. that really hit me hard. That could mean five minutes ago in the practice room. That could be that like if you had started your podcast, you know, the best time to start a podcast was like 10 years ago. Um, the second best time is like right now. I, you know, um, the uh, you could have started your podcast like in like April of 2020, which is like right before all of the pandemic yeah. like brass podcasts came out. Um, and, uh, and I, I don't, I don't say that as any kind of a label. It's just a time uh, you yeah, know, yeah. I, that if, in case that sounded even remotely, uh, derisive, I, I don't mean that at all. It's just like, we were all stuck at home and a lot of people were like, I have something to say and I'm going to start putting this out, which is awesome. Every one of them, I'm like, yes, welcome. Like, let's go. It's like, there's not a pie where they're taken away from the brass junkies or like, you know, no, there's, there's, everybody has their own pie. There's not a single pie. But that all hope for, uh, you know, abandon all hope for a better past because that's what I'm doing with it, whether it's tuba or downloads or uh, parenting decisions or what the hell ever. It's all energy I'm not spending on like what the next thing that has to happen is. And um, and so I, I always need to just focus on that and then to do the thing, not to just plan, but to just do and to make a mistake and, you know, try and register that that uh semi-profane url and then you know and then not do that and then you just lather rinse repeat yeah. and just keep on plowing forward yeah there's i would like to i want to talk about the should thing because i totally agree i wouldn't have thought about it in terms of like sort of making it into like a thing you would say on a platform you know what i mean but like i'm very i i listen for that word when i'm asking people you know, what is, I, I was talking, I have two versions of this one. I was talking to a client the other day and 
he let me know. He's like, I had this practice. Basically, I do like practice coaching, right? I'm trying to mm-hmm. help people have better practice sessions. And great. so he was saying that he had been feeling this great progress and then it didn't go as well one a day. So uh, I, one thing I've really tried to do in the podcast has really helped is to ask more questions before I tell someone what I think the answer is, right? Instead of just being like, well, it must be this. I'll ask a few follow-up questions. Mm. And one of them is like, what is your expectation for your progress? You know, what do you think, like, what do you think is going to happen? And then he said something along the lines of, well, I just feel like I shouldn't go backwards, right? And I was like, well... That's not real, you know? Like, we can right. we can do a whole lot. to. Set. I have tons of really strong opinions about how we can actually set our sort of our mindset up so that there's really no such thing as backwards progress because of the way we determine success, if we want to say that. But yes. in terms of actual, like, execution and output, like, it's it's learning any skill, you know? We're not, mm-hmm. at some point, we have to test the skill, see what's going on. We Anyway, so I totally agree with that, and... That's actually just one example. I'd like you to speak to this other example where I have other, I've caught just lots of people where they say, I feel like I should be able to do this basically based upon comparison, right? I am this age, somebody else this age can do this, or I am this grade, somebody else this grade can do it. Or even people, you know, in your own studio and stuff like that. And there's all these quotes, comparison is the thief of all joy and all that kind of stuff. And I'm kind of curious for two different perspectives. One, what you would say to somebody who is struggling with comparison and using the word should. And number two, if you have struggled with, I mean, many musicians have, so I'm kind of curious if you've struggled with issues of comparison in your career, because as you tell your story of your career, it almost sounds as if it's just like you're, you know, marching to the beat of your own drum and the whole world is just shut out. So I'm kind of curious if it might not be quite that uh, vibe, so to speak. Yeah. Um, Well, let me answer the second one first, just because I, the, um, because that's the freshest on my mind here. You can have me circle back. Um, the I very now I will say that uh, I have had some absolutely like obnoxious luck with the fact that I got my gig when I was still in graduate school. So there was literally not a single day between like you know degree and uh, what do I do now. Mm-hmm. So um, so that is incredibly lucky. Uh, incredibly, and was I ready to uh, to 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 seize the opportunity? Hell yes, I was, and I'd worked my ass off to get to that point. But there's a lot of dumbass luck there. I mean, I just like uh, in terms of like timing, in terms of all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there was uh, yeah a lot of luck. Um, the I can remember though, uh, there was one uh, one specific time that I remember where I felt just absolutely crushed which was uh, my freshman year at Northwestern, the first studio class, uh, Rex Martin asked uh, who wanted to play. And uh, this will tell you about my mindset at the time. I volunteered to play at the first studio class at Northwestern as a freshman. You know, I was like, I'll play. You just ready to and go. So he, he was like, he was like, that's awesome. 
Um, and again, I wasn't just like braver than your average uh, first year college student. I had had like played quintet recitals in front of the entire Empire Brass with like waiting for Rolf Smedvig to like tear me apart if it didn't go well. And in front of Atlantic Brass and I had done, I mean, I just, I had so much performance rep at that, uh, reps, excuse me, not repertoire, but just, you know, number of like that. I was like, yeah, let's do this, you know? And I played... Um, I played a movement of Bach's uh, first cello suite, and it did not go as I had hoped it was going to go. And uh, and afterwards, um, I was like, uh, um, uh, not in the room. I wasn't because you know I'm a male and I'm not supposed to show emotions or weakness, right? Uh, which is bullcrap. But that's kind of like you know. Uh, but afterwards, like I was in tears, like I was like, I was really, I like went for a walk on the lake and I, you know, I left my tube in my locker, but I could have thrown it into Lake Michigan. Mm -hmm. Like I was like, that was the lowest I had been. Um, and like, they all clapped and it was like loud clapping. And I just, and I kind of like, just like stared at them. I mean, like I almost <laughs> like glared, you know, cause I was like trying not to like cry. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and, um, anyway, fast forward to my, my next lesson and, uh, and Rex Martin told me that, um, that the, the room was like collectively like was blown away by my playing and by like the chutzpah of like, of just like, you know, I wasn't like, I'll do it. I just raised my hand. I was like, yeah, I'll play, you know, like the, the fact that I did that, what I chose to play all of that and that they were, you know, and he, he very lovingly was like, don't ever glare at the audience ever again. Like you made it about you. That was a should, right? This should, this was going to go better than this. I was yeah, going yeah. to like introduce, you know, et cetera. Um, but like, that was, uh, that was like a real low point for me, but I learned from it, you know, it's like, so, um, but it was low because I was so worried about what everybody thought about me. You know, I kind of, I wanted to like announce my arrival, which by nature of just volunteering to play in the first ever studio class as, you know, I'd been on campus for two days. Like I did just that, right? Mm -hmm. um, but like I had this version of like how it was going to go. And then when it didn't perfectly match up with that, I was embarrassed. And, and that's because it was a total fixed mindset. Like I just wanted everybody to be like, oh, you know, like I wanted everybody to high five me and be like, okay, so you're here now, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. which I think that, yeah. So, um, but that was because I was all wrapped up in what other people thought, which is still, I mean, you know, I'm not going to lie. You know, it's like if you post something online and everybody loves it, you know, it's like, you know, the, the, that you, you got to get thick skin because, um, no matter, no matter what, um, you know, I, I personally, as I, we were talking about before we started, I really enjoy listening to as the, you know, as the, as the, the consumer of podcasts that are more conversational in nature, uh, like yours, where you are talking, you know, cause there's also, there's a lot of podcasts in the world. There are a lot of arenas, uh, venues, whatever that you can hear, Joe Alessi answering predictable questions and he answers them great, but where it's kind of like, it's clear that the person has sent him 10 questions ahead of time and they're just going down the list and that, and Joe has thought about them and that like, and there's value there, but I would rather hear somebody who is creative and who's like thinking and who's questioning stuff and trying to, you know, like, you know, like you are like talk to Joe and like talk about, and I don't mean that I don't want to like tune in for a Joe Alessi podcast where you're talking for like 40 minutes and Joe's talking for 20. 
But um, but there are going to be people who are going to say, because we've heard, you know, like those guys love the sound of their own voices. Like, but we've always, from the beginning, we have said that we like that it's like it's conversations with, you know, it's like not interviews per se. Um, and here's the thing is that uh, in terms of just like doubling down on doing what you do, um, if you want to hear somebody interview Chris Martin and not have there be any screwing around and not have like, you know, Chris acting kind of ridiculous for part of it and us acting ridiculous for part of it. And when it's going serious for a while and then Chris is the one that derails it or Lance's or me or all three of us or whatever, there's lots of places to hear him interviewed where it never goes off the rails at all. Um, if you want to hear him go deep, sometimes on trumpet playing, sometimes on life, sometimes on whatever, where but it's also off the rails. It's like a, you know, it's like we're hanging. Then we're your, then we're your podcast, you know. Um, and you can never make anything for everybody, yeah, right? Because if that- you were. If you were to super tighten things up, you're going to alienate the people who love it. If you get, you know, it's like, so anyway. No, I you, think you it's got- such an important thing to say because, you know, like how you, like what you walk in there, what your expectation is of when you walk in and digest something will dictate everything about uh-huh. how you do it. So like if I'm walking into your podcast, there's been times where I've listened to it expecting something that it wasn't, right? Mm-hmm. And so I might think, well, that's not what I was looking for. Well, that's on me. That's not on you, right? right? And like, right. I can own that, you know? And like you said, it's the same thing. Like, I don't need everyone. That's like why you're, what you're talking about this through a lot of this podcast is so, at least for me and hopefully everybody else is good because you're just embracing the idea that you found a community of people who dig what you do. And you're trying to provide stuff that they will care about. And like, if other people don't dig what you do, hopefully there's somebody else who will de- who will develop something that will that will speak to them. And like, hopefully, and I I would maybe you would like to speak to this. What my hope is is that everybody gets a thing that means something to them. You know, and yes, th- yes. If you yeah the the um the I once heard an analogy about a about a pie contest. This is by the way, this goes for being like a good person within a chamber ensemble, within a business, like what, just within the world, right? Where uh, don't be this person where you come to me and say like, you know, the Brass Junkies is a pie, right? And I entered the Brass Junkies into a pie contest and you, Ryan, you say, hey man, uh, I just want you to know that I think that your pie sucks. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. Like, that's fine. Like I, you know, my pie is not for everybody. Like, like, you know, can I try your pie? And the, this analogy is not good because you actually have a pie. But then you go like, you go like, oh no, 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 no. I don't have a pie. I just want you to know that I think that your pie sucks. And <laughs> and then I'm like, no, no, no. Well, that's cool. Like, I mean, I, I'm not, a, yeah, that's cool. That's a totally defendable, like easily defendable, uh, defensible, what I, yeah, I, I yeah. barely speak English. I'm a tuba player, but you know, position, <laughs> but like, what kind of pie do you like? No, 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 I don't have a pie. I just want you to know you're right. Like make your own pie. Yeah, you know, yeah. like that's the thing is to make your own pie. And it's also, this is really important. If you're going to create stuff and put it out into the world, you have to actually ignore the comments and criticisms from the people who aren't your true people. Yeah, Be- Because like, you know, and that's not, it's not an ego thing, but it's just kind of like a, um, yeah, you know, like we we had, um, you know, we yeah, we we've gotten some. It's the 
I'll never forget when TEM, I had like, I don't I don't remember how many numbers I'm up to now. There's like maybe 150 ratings up on Apple Podcasts or whatever. And for a long time, they were all five stars and there was like two four stars. I mean, you know, it was like 125 stars, two four stars. And then like one day, like a one star review yeah. showed up, which is like, which that's like someone who thinks it's so bad that they need to warn others, Ryan. Yeah, you know, this yeah. is like, this is like, like mayday, like do not <laughs> yeah, right. hitch your wagon to this, you know, like, uh, you know, don't hit yourself to this wagon. Um, and so, you know, where would my eyes go every time would be to that one star review, you know? Um, but like, that's a, and this is not, there's, it's a fine line here. This is not like a, my podcast is great. Everything hits Academy is great and I'm good. And, and if you don't see it, that's fine. That's not even what I mean. It just means that that's not what, that's that's not what you're, you know. If somebody wants to hear Demandre last night go on like a really deep dive on euphonium literature, that's not what we were talking about, right, right? Right. Like that's just not what we were talking about. We talked a lot. We talked a lot about about just you know breaking down practicing like process. You know, it's like and so some people find that fascinating. And I've already had some people who've gone to every single one of them in spite of the instrument. Other people would hear that and just be like, the thought of that is like, I'd rather watch C-SPAN, you know, than that. <laughs> like, that's fine. I can't dumb it down to make both of those. People usually either have really cheap phones or really expensive phones. There's not a ton that's in the middle, you know? And it's like, if you make a really really nice iPhone that's like not all that nice, you're going to piss off all the real iPhone users. And if you make a crappy, like there are still flip phones that are sold. And you make that like a crappy iPhone, they're going to be like, I want to open it and make a phone call. Like I don't want a touch screen. I don't want to drag wire. That, why is there a little X that's shaking? I don't want apps. I just want to make a call. You can't make something that's going to make, you, you're going to piss everybody off if you hang out in the middle. So you do your thing and just double down on it and make it wow the crap out of the people who are, your fans and that's all that you should worry about is just providing so much value that they are forced to tell other people about your thing that who they think are going to dig it that's how you get success is not trying to get other people on board yeah i've i, I love that i love what you just said man it's it's so good you know it's how i feel about art in general you know like if mm -hmm. you make some sort of art and someone says like okay it's not in my mind. In some ways, it's not like art, right? Like you created something, but there's a, there's like Picasso stuff I've seen that I'm like, I don't like that, but many people love it, right? And to it's like when you sort of like you're saying you exist in the middle. I wanted you to I wanted to read you one of my uh, my um, uh, reviews because <laughs> oh please, it's the same thing. It says the only one I have. I, I have I don't know how many written reviews I have, but I have ninety ratings. Whole bunch of five stars, one four star, one three star, one two star, and one one star. There you go. And you're yeah, right. Man. You're right. Like I remember the first day, like a two star rating showed up, and I was like, "What is going on right now? Like, who puts a two star rating on something?" My brain says, "Why would anyone?" I've never left a two star yeah. rating for like a one person podcast. Yeah. Like, why would you take the time to log on? To then, like, you know, I would just never do that, but other people would. Yeah. So, like, should. Welcome to reality, right? Like, yeah. you know, there you go. <laughs> and so this person left a three-star rating that said, the interviews are interesting, but just wishing the host would talk less and let the guests talk more. And half of me was really proud to read that. 
that I created <laughs> something that someone had that much of an opinion about. Uh-huh. That was negative, you know? Yep. But then half of me was like, now I have to restructure my whole podcast so I don't right. talk nearly as much because if I talk, that person's still going to be upset. Everyone thinks what you just, the second half of that, and it's wrong. Yeah. It's, it's wrong. Yeah, and you know what? That listener is right. So are you. So am I. I would never leave that. I mean, if you're not interesting, which you are, but if you weren't interesting and you were like, you know, like talking instead of someone who was interesting, then sure, I'm going to be like, I'm still not going to leave you a two-star review because I just, <laughs> I'm just not going to come back. Like, but I don't right. need to like warn others. Um, but like, but people who think that you talk too much are right. People who think you don't talk enough are right. People who think you talk just the right amount are right. Like yeah. everybody's right in their own mind, but it is whackable. It is, it's not that it's just like, you're probably not gonna happen. It's literally impossible to make all of those people happy. Sure. And, um, I, you know, it's, uh. Yeah, you you just gotta you gotta do what you do, and you gotta have uh, for for uh, we're we're newish on YouTube. Um, I don't remember how many months we've been on YouTube, and it's actually going quite well for Brass Junkies. We've like gone to video, um, but we have comments turned off. Like we just have con like I you know I don't I don't I have comments turned off on my blog. Like I don't feel like I owe it to the world to have. A comment system, because all you know, it'd be one thing if it took any effort at all to leave a comment. You know, I mean, I like the only time I've ever uh, let me let me. I'm going to finish one of these sentences, I promise, and it's going to be really exciting for you when I do, because I just started like four of them. Um, <laughs> the people, there are people who are on YouTube and they like downvote things all the time. Those are people who, uh, this is anecdotal, I, I don't really have data here, but I guarantee you those are people who don't put a lot slash anything out into the world on their own. Those are people who don't have pies because they would know how hard it is because it takes a lot of courage. And this is when I'm, I don't want this to sound self-congratulatory because I've been doing this a long time. Like I'm, I'm well beyond that. It takes a lot of courage. The first time that you posted this podcast takes a lot of courage because by definition, until I heard your podcast, I had a 0% chance of thinking that it sucked. Right? right, right. As soon as I hear your podcast, I can be like, that dude loves the sound of his own voice. Or there's an obvious follow-up question like three times per episode that he just like plows right past or like whatever. He talks too little or as soon as you put it out there, I can have an opinion about it. And so, which is a lot of the reason why people will like, you know, they, they've been like writing their symphony forever and they never finish it because as soon as you finish your symphony and share it, that's when I can think or say, me, the world can say, your symphony sucks <laughs> or your website sucks or your whatever sucks. And those, those, uh, those criticisms are coming, but I personally don't feel like I owe it to the world to have like an open forum for them. Cause I, uh, Seth Godin talks about this a lot. Like he turned comments off on his blog because a lot of time, and he's been blogging, uh, uh for every day for geez, 12 years or yeah, something, it's something every insane. day for, 
it's something insane. He specifically talked about turning off comments because he said early on when he would get comments, um, and I love how he puts it because he he always points out that he's not above criticism and he doesn't think that he is, even though he's like wildly successful, that he said that frequently that criticisms of his blog were from somebody who either didn't read the whole thing or totally missed the point and that he felt the need to jump in and explain it to them or he felt the need to like change the content moving forward to like make it eat whatever, you know, and this, but somebody who's going to read a blog and not grasp what it's about. And Seth's a really clear writer. Like he kind of, he sticks, he writes about one thing and he, you know, so there's not a lot of ton of like nuance and whatever, but like you can't change your blog so that somebody who is going to half read it and then comment for the entire world to see, even though you've missed the point, you can't change your yeah. opinion so that that woman understands what's going on or that that man or that person, you know, you just, you can't. I mean, you can, but that's like, that's a never, and then you're just not doing your own thing. It's just, it's a never ending. Uh, it, it won't end well. And then that's when you start to not have fun putting out a podcast or writing a blog or whatever. You just got to kind of put your head down and just do it. Yeah. I have an interesting sort of twist on this conversation. Um, I, I think everything we're saying is totally valid. This, first of all, I approve of this conversation. <laughs> uh, but I think when we're talking about in the realm of creating your own thing, like literally creating your own thing, it's kind of like, cool, end of conversation. Now, I believe all of this conversation is 100% applicable to something like taking an orchestral audition as well, except the two major differences are, one, you are by definition forced to fit into an orchestrally minded framework of playing like you kind of can't do whatever you want but within that you still need to be whatever you are and the mm -hmm. other thing is is for me one of the hardest parts to get past is that employment is on the other side you know what i mean like just getting it out of my head and so you want to believe yeah. you know i I've, I've i've written about this i've done youtube videos about this the performance anxiety thing it's like I could have the best system I could believe in. I could not care what anybody thinks. I could take everything super seriously in my instrument, be ready to go, but trying to disassociate myself from the fact that I have to play these things in such a style that will make them be like, yes, you're essentially giving them your happiness, right? And saying, mm -hmm. please don't like crush it. And so mm -hmm. how do we, in your opinion, how do we how do we bring some of that freedom that you've described and joy that you were just talking about, about how much you enjoy it? How do we bring that to something where there are rules and there is a framework and we are sort of fitting into something that other people are doing in a way where we can, I mean, this is a kind of a weird open-ended question, but in a way where we can maintain our quote individuality, but still like not feel like it's a horrible thing because we're just not doing anything right. Yeah, that's that's a hard question. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, would um, in terms of like specifically the orchestral example, like would would Roger Voisin advance in an audition oh, today? Well, certainly I mean, not. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah, right. I mean, uh, so. Um, yeah. And yet, like, can you imagine, like, not just the trumpet world, but just, you know, the world without his, I mean, geez, talk about the storytelling that came out of that guy's yeah. bell. It's just like, you know, legendary. Um, but like so much of the orchestra world is homogenized now. They're, you know, I took a, to 
for the trumpet nerds will like this at Northwestern. Uh, I took a, I took the um, orchestral uh, literature class with uh, with Vince Chikowitz. And it was like uh, he, it was the whole class was listening, and it was listening to to Russian orchestras and listening to other Eastern European orchestras and listening to uh, you know it was like it was really fascinating uh, being you know listening to the different interpretations of the same works and it's like it's all getting like homogenized at this point you know um, and I've heard a lot of people who are you know at the absolute top of the orchestra world talk about that very articulately. Um, and it's not good, it's not bad, it just is, mm -hmm, right? Right. Um, so how do you fit in while also, you know, expressing yourself? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard, you know, it's, uh, yeah. Because what I found is that the more I individualize myself, the worse I do in auditions, you know? Like when I was at Northwestern, I had a certain way of playing. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that when Barbara said, you're ready, I was like, okay, and I played like that, you know? Um, uh -huh. But I think there was a level of my playing where I didn't have as much personality as I have tried to develop over the number of years. And so when you walk in there, it's the same thing. Like, you're basically saying, here I am, take it or leave it, so to speak. And so there's right. greater chance for them to, you know, love you and you're the one that will win the audition or the opposite end of the spectrum. There's less middle, middle of the road, middle ground. I, I, for me... It's very difficult to reconcile that in my own career right now. Yeah, it's you know, and the same goes for um, for getting uh, teaching jobs, like at you know university level. Um, you know where where there's like certain there's there's a lot of universities who are looking for pretty much everybody to check the same boxes because those are the boxes that they check, and if the new people coming in. Are checking completely different ones, then they start to realize that what they're what they bring to the table is not as valued as it once was, and so it's not necessarily a conscious thing. Sometimes it is, um, but the problem is this: you know, it's like uh, you know, if we're out on a date and I act a certain way because I think that that's what you want me to do, and then I guess the good news is because I want a second date that you say, yeah, let's go on a second date, then I got. There's two options, right? I can act like that other person that's not quite me to like try and get a third date, or I can act like myself and you're like, what happened? Right, like, right, yeah, yeah, is, yeah, totally. You know? And so it's like it's kind of like you know, like good news, you're going, your your um, you know, your alter ego is getting a second date. Um, now again, it's easy to say this when I'm gainfully employed, um, but it's it's a real, it's 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 a very it's an interesting conundrum because you don't want to go somewhere where you only have to fit in. And there are some orchestras where are that are more receptive to this than others. Mm -hmm. uh, there are some... Um, I, um, I had a, a friend uh, who auditioned uh this was many years ago for a uh for a brass quintet uh like a a, a big one um and uh they were this person is like uh, an unbelievable jazz player and um the the piece was uh you know this was like a, a you know a jazz type piece and um and he asked if uh you know if he could just blow over it rather than play the written out solo and in the interview, the um, the you know the powers that be said, um, oh, I I don't think so and so the arranger would appreciate that. 
so you know where where uh, where my friend like knew instantly that like this was not a good fit. Sure, right? yeah, uh, yeah, you know for him. Um, but again, they're right. He was right. <laughs> you know, it's like kind of like you know the two star review is right. So are the five star reviews. So um, that's to me is one of the main reasons why I keep creating my own thing just because you can kind of um you know it's like because if you're getting chosen if you're if you're waiting to get chosen which i always try to go to uh usually long-winded lengths to make sure that i do i do not think that being entrepreneurial is in any way better or more impressive or anything than going a traditional route like drawing your own map is not better than following um, you know like chris martin has not really drawn any of his own maps right i mean he just wins like every year yeah, you know? yeah yeah or tom hooten is like and it's not a criticism although you know and tom has got this whole club teaching things like so but you i'm talking about the playing right mm -hmm. like i don't think it's like any less noble that tom hooten is like just like shows up at work and everybody tells him what he's got to play it's like no, no no like that's that's great i so i always like because i host a podcast called the entrepreneurial musician it can sound like i think that that's better i don't um and my first phase was like, i was part owner but like yeah we you know i was just i was a part of a thing that was going you know um but it can be hard to find a place. And that's why a lot of orchestral musicians I know, a lot doesn't mean over 50%, but there's like a significant number are not super happy in their jobs. Yeah, yeah. Um, just because they've got to act a different way. And, and as you know, you've got more experience in this realm than me. Um, but you know, it getting the job is different than keeping the job. You know, and especially on orchestral, I've heard so many people say so many times that like playing auditions is just like is like its own skill. It's like its own thing. Yeah. Um, and and it's you know when I uh, dealing with the pressures of auditions when I was uh, when I auditioned with Boston Brass, I had subbed with them a bunch that that um, you know that that spring because their tuba player before me got really sick. He ended up being fine. Um, Sam Palafian was telling me like, you know, like they'd be an idiot not to hire you. Uh, like everybody, you know, it was like, I was getting along with them. Um, but like, until I got hired, you know, until I won that audition, there were like 40 tuba players. I was like, I was nervous because sure. I was like, you know, I was thinking like what this was like, this was studio class all over again in Northwestern. Like, this is like, everybody's telling me like, this is supposed to go a certain way. What if it doesn't, um, you know? And I couldn't let that interfere with my playing because if I was safe, it's like, you know, in a quintet, you got to have a lot of personality. And so it was kind of like, you know, it was a good exercise for me at that age. I was uh, 24 still to like, you know, to be going through, to like, you know, to balance the, uh, the whole um you know, giving opinions, but also fitting in, but then like not Mike Roylance famously has talked about how he was in the, um, uh, who I know you've chatted with, mm -hmm. you know, who, uh, you know, talks, uh, I did not hear uh, that episode, maybe even talked about it then, but he famously was in the finals of the Boston symphony audition and in between tunes, he kind of like did the math and realized what this was going to mean for him and his family, like if he won and what it was going to mean for him and his family if he didn't win. And then he was like, knock it off, Michael. You know, like yeah. he just like got right back to tuba right here, right now. Um, yeah, there's so many layers. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, what you said about doing your own thing, what I have found... And the pandemic is the only reason I have this perspective. It's so interesting for me because I just got to practice whatever I wanted. 
I got to decide. Like, I'm going to work on these weaknesses. I'm going to, you know, figure out these practice program things. I'm just going to see if these are real. You know what I mean? And so I've been recording B-Shade in my YouTube channel just slowly, right? Because those are challenging mm -hmm. for me. And I just recorded Beach 9, and which is like one of the, for me, one of the hardest ones. And it's interesting because when I, when I listen to it, I'm like, I like the way that sounds. I like like my playing, you know what I mean? I'm not thinking about it as like, is this up to some standard or is this? I'm thinking about it in terms of where was I last time I recorded this and is there yeah. progress? And I feel like I'm more like, I'm more up about my playing. I want to practice more. I want, right. I like, I, I look for, I, I take one day off every single week, right? Just for mental and physical and all that kind of stuff. And when I come back, I'm ready to come back. Like, instead of like, I have to pick this up and do this. It's because I'm just, it's exactly what Jeff Nelson said. I, I'm, I'm certainly focused on growth, but as a byproduct of this process that I totally believe in now, cause I've just seen it enough. Mm -hmm. And the same thing exists within being a practice coach. Like it's so different from teaching the trumpet. Like I, I mean, sometimes I say the same things, but you're dealing with like individuals and it's so much more layered and complex of why you might be struggling and, and mm -hmm. content creation. You know, we talk about becoming a beginner and like learning how to do lighting and learning stuff about microphones and learning stuff about cameras and how to, like, that was a huge undertaking, which I don't feel like I've mastered by any means, but the level that I've grown has only come from, like you said, showing up, deciding I'm going to shoot a YouTube video. I'm going to get every ounce of knowledge, I think. And then I'm going to shoot a YouTube video and then go, okay, like, what can I, you know, where can I go from there? And when I'm just focused yep. on like doing these things that I think are worthy. And again, like you said, it's a bit from like, I have this job, you know, but we took a 60% pay cut this year. So like, it's not like it's thriving. It's a large number. Right. So, but it's like, if I, I spend my time doing these worthy things and I'm more like, I, I feel like I do better work, you know, I feel like I do a lot better work and I'm able to do work and, and do the work the way that I would do it and, and be me through this whole process. So this whole conversation is like, it's almost as if for me, it's been some sort of evidence that maybe that orchestral path is not the direction that I would, mm -hmm. I, you know, continuing down that path and continuing this audition thing. It's not that I couldn't do that. It's just, mm -hmm. I find so much more value and uh, I find so much more fulfillment in finding ways that I can be, I can contribute I can provide value that have nothing to do with trying to fit into some box so I can say I got to this thing that I may not even want for all the right yeah. reasons, if that makes sense. Well, uh, two comments. Um, one is that everything that I hear you talk about in terms of your process, uh, not your process, your your output, um, is the word intentional comes to mind. Sure. Is that you're very intentional about everything that you're doing which is how you learn. You, you're, you're intentional. You keep shipping, as, as Seth Godin says, like you're sharing it with the world. You're not just recording the Beach Nine and then like not sharing it because as soon as you share it, somebody can right. be like, that's a little too slow. That's a little too fast. That's a little too loud. Like, oh, that, yeah, yep. I, he messed the same part up that I, whatever, well, right? And, sorry, and also, I interrupt can, you real quick? Sorry. Yeah, please, I, please. I, and I think this will speak to something you said a second ago, but I think one thing that has helped me dramatically with the way that I'm sharing my stuff is to frame it in a way where I then feel comfortable sharing it. So mm -hmm. I'm not trying to, sh I'm not trying to say, it's actually that why I've leaned so hard in the direction I have, which if, I mean, if you've seen any of them or whatever, but basically I'm like, I'm going to record the, f I'm going to share the first take that I do. 
So like not even just a one take recording, but the very first take. So it's forcing me to ask myself, how do I be my best on the very first take of and and record it, which adds that extra awesome. level, right? But then if it's not 100% perfect, I want it to be something that I am satisfied with before I'll share, certainly. But if it's not perfect, I framed it in such a way where the point is not that it's perfect. The point is like, here's where I'm at. But I think the more we think in that direction versus I'm trying to keep up with the Joneses, I think it becomes a lot easier to share things that may not be at some other level of what's being shared somewhere else because you're like, this is why you're intentional. I'm doing it for this reason. I totally agree. And I think it's actually made a humongous difference in the level of comfort because we're at this level where we're like sort of in the same conversation as other people sharing things that are amazing. And you're trying to mm -hmm. say like, oh, here's my thing, you know, and right. it can be very daunting. Even at the level that I feel like I played, it can be daunting to continue to put stuff out there when so much quality stuff is going out. Well, and you also have a... um this makes it sound bad, but you have a hook. Like a pop song has a hook. Like it's a it's a song that you know. Ever the Beatles wrote the greatest hooks like ever. You know, at least in like Western pop music, right? Where it's just like you hear like you know the the melody to like you know Let It Be once, and like it's like it singed <laughs> in your brain forever. You know, it's like it. But your your hook is that uh, that it's the first take, and that like you know that that's interesting. That's human. That's like that's a story. That's not just and you uh, you know you operate a trumpet at a very high level, but that's actually not necessarily interesting all on its own. And that's not to minimize how high a level you operate a trumpet. Sure. There are. Yeah, you know, but but the thing is, it's not like there's only five people in the world who can operate a trumpet as well as you can, right? There's also there's not five thousand either, but like, but the number's way larger than sure, five, of course. right? And now with the internet, it's like everybody can get access to everybody right away. And so if like I spend no time thinking about actual numbers, but if it's like fifty or a hundred or five hundred or twelve hundred, whatever, right? It's like it's already not that interesting all by itself. But now you've got an angle, right? Where it's like the human thing where you're that's really that's fascinating. And that's like showing some warts, but then it's also like, you know, like it's just it's a the the key now. Uh, nowadays, the biggest danger is not people leaving you a one-star review. And you kind of touched on this before. It's being ignored. It's like not being noticed. It's blending in. And you have to be remarkable, which means worth remarking about. But if I encounter, uh, you know, like like 10 awesome trumpet videos, which I'm not, I don't spend too much time on YouTube <laughs> watching like any, but I, I don't spend a, a ton of time watching like, you know, brass videos like in general. Um, although, and I have not seen any of yours and I'm no joke. I'm not just saying this. I'm going probably not tonight because it's getting late, but I'm going to watch one of those tomorrow because that concept is super interesting mm. to me. And I know you play your ass off, but that combined with, but what's really going to get me to go watch is not just your, is not the playing. That's not what's going to, and by the way, what I mean is I'm actually going to follow through when I'm like with my phone and I'm like reading about, um, you know, actually, I don't even know it's a Monday, so I don't know whether the Red Sox are playing tonight or not, but I'll either be like, uh, if they do, I'll be happy they won, I'll be pissed they lost, whatever, yeah, yeah. you know, it's like to snap me out of that, I'm going to think and be like, I want to see one of these, like, first take, like, I want to see how you set it up, like, and then, you know, et cetera, like, that's uh, remarkable means worth remarking about, mm -hmm. and... I would, uh, if I thought of it, I would watch one even if there wasn't this angle to it. But the odds of me telling 
Lance LeDuc. And again, like a tuba and a euphonium player who used to be globally traveling in Nebraska, that is probably not your like key demographic for your trumpet videos, you know, but um, but I'm also assuming you'd rather that we listen to it and dig it than not. But like, I wouldn't like if you played really well, I, if I said to Lance, like, hey, man, I found a great recording of Beach Nine that you should listen to. He'd be like, who stole your phone? Like, he would assume that like, he would assume that Jens Lindemann had like, you know, hacked into my phone and was trying to make it sound like I was like suggesting trumpet videos to people because that's not something I do. But for me and to Lance, if I said, I got interviewed, you know, like, and I, and I, I bet he has heard of your podcast or, or heard it, but then I said, dig this like and then told him i bet he'd be like that's really interesting mm. like i you know and some people could give a crap right they would just rather that you just put out a perfect thing just get you know get over it ryan just get three cameras put it all together like use the multiple angles which is a way to just edit it and you sure know, it's of like, course and, but lots of people have done that already well and so, i mean you know the way i view it the way i view it is basically hulk on hardberger ruined all of this stuff for us like, he's pretty good. He, well, he put out those Charlier recordings, and now mm -hmm. why would anybody like record a Charlier recording ever again? You know, and I'm not saying right. that people's. It's like what you're saying. It's, it's not going to get more perfect than that because they're perfect right. from a technical sense, and they're insanely musical. Right. So, like, why would anybody do it ever again? We're going to have to figure out some way to make it remarkable and some way to describe mm -hmm. it. And for me. The thing that I think we all should start, and I'm trying to lead by example to the best of my ability, we should be putting forward is like, this is what I am capable of right now, and I'm satisfied with that. And yes. a year from now, I may record it again, but I want to share that with you. Instead of it being like, here's this objective, perfect thing so you can be impressed, it's like, because you see this in like the fitness industry all the time. People are just like, here's my workout. I watch it all the time, you know? Not as much as I used to, but I used, I've digested like, probably a thousand hours of YouTube workout videos so I could learn how to work out, right? And you see them, you see them fail lifts, you see them get PRs, you see them just do most of the time their day in and their day out work, which is not exciting, but they're sort of doing a voiceover. And it's like, you're just watching them grow. And if you, especially if they've been posting for six or seven years, like you see some actual progress, you know? So I feel like that's like what I would love to see. And again, I'm trying to lead by example to basically like, here is, I worked really hard and I got this recording on the first take, which is valuable to me because I want to know how to be my best on the first take because that's what matters in performance. And then I'm yep. going to share that with you. And like, yeah, it could be better from an objective standpoint, but like, I don't think I could do better right now. And that's why I shared this one. I just, I think there's, that's what I feel like will make everybody's recording special all the time is just an honest representation through diligent work and then, and then sharing. Yeah. Uh, well, and here's the thing. Everyone has something that's interesting. Uh, it's them. Like the thing that you have over me is that you're Ryan. I'm not, right? I have that over you. I, I, I mean, it's like, even if we're just talking about tuba players, right? Somebody that's way younger than me and doesn't have all the performing experience and all that, they're... As an artist, their saddest moment, hopefully it wasn't because of me, uh, but you know, like even if it was, I didn't experience it through their eyes, right? I wasn't there for their happiest moment, for their most scared, for their, you know, like, so everybody's individual. But then if you take that a step further, it's like if you are a college student and you want to make a series of videos where you start talking about those, um, you know, those, 
those, you know, the record, those ridiculous recordings of the Charlier. And then you like identify what it is that he does in Charlier one that you can't do, even if it's like 12 things. And then give us a behind the scenes look of how, not that you try to get all the way there, but how you try to close the gap, you know, and like give us an honest behind the scenes of that and show yourself working and keep checking in. That's like, that's fascinating. That is something that I, you know, like if you're in college, then like, yeah, Ryan plays the trumpet better than you do. But that's not the point, right? right? Like, it's like, you know, like the point is like, is the journey which everybody has. And so if you're thoughtful about it and you're honest and you're open and you're all of that, it's like the, you know, the, the behind the scenes thing. If somebody, by the way, this is kind of related, kind of not, but if somebody wants to start a brass podcast, you know, brass interview podcast, um, <clears throat> here's the problem is that just about anybody can get Mike Roylance to be interviewed. Just about anybody can get Ryan or can get me or, um, you know, not that if you're like a, a bigger name that, uh, you know, that uh, Brad Strings, we've been around a long time, obviously. I'm not saying that we wouldn't get like a faster response and that we already know somebody, but it's like, you know, it's not like, you know, like Mike would uh, be like, oh, no, no, I did the Brass Junkies. I shouldn't be on your pie. No, it's like, it's like there's everybody's got their own pie, right? So how are you then remarkable if uh, this is also goes for hosting online events? If like everybody has a Roger Bobo masterclass, um, who's like a master teacher, but if everybody has a Roger Bobo masterclass, then having Roger Bobo on your roster is not remarkable. So it's actually the person that's doing the interviewing or it's the format, or it's what you ask or what you don't ask, or it's like, you know, that's the remarkable part on top of. And so interviewing great people is almost like the cost of entry. It's just kind of like if you want to win an audition with Boston Brass, you got to be able to play your ass off. But then it's like, what do you do with it? You know, and yeah. it's the same thing with a podcast. We're just talking to famous people, and again, famous in a tiny corner of the world, is not going to be enough because if you if you can get Tom Hooten on your podcast, there's a he's going to bring a whole bunch of people with him to listen to that interview. But if it's just a standard interview, they're not going to be upset. They're not going to be mad. They're not going to even think about it. But they won't. But they're stay. not going to listen to. And they're not going to stay yeah, yeah. at all. They're not even going to check out the other. If you're a all brass like we are, they're not even going to listen to the other trumpet interviews. Like they, you know, they're not going to consciously or intentionally say, "I'm definitely not listening to any of that guy's other <laughs> trumpet ones." You know, they're just going to go to the nine million other places that they can go on their phone or on their computer or whatever. So you've got to be remarkable, whatever it is. But the good news is, if you if you feel like you're not remarkable, I promise you that you are. Like you are remarkable and you just have to double down on, on what makes you, you, which like sounds like super like self-help, like cheesy, like, you know, but it's, they say it's not the destination, it's the journey, but it's true. I mean, like everybody's got a journey and there are, if you're young and, you know, one of these podcasts in the brass world that has launched during the pandemic. First of all, there's a lot of them that have like wrinkles. They're like, you know, like wellness, like it's cool. It's like, there's like a lot of different things. But some people are going to relate way more to you if you're 20 and you're talking to Joe Alessi for the first time, mm. then you are, then they're going to relate to me and Lance when I'm like, you know, like, like, 
talking about some stupid crap that Joe and I did together in Banff when we were teaching there together. Right, right, you know, right. it's like, and they're both valuable, right? And I'm not sh- dropping those stories so everybody knows that I've hung out with Joe Alessi a lot. But you just, just have like, a rapport with him as opposed to just, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. But but some people are going to relate more to the 20-year-old kid who's kind of like in an endearing, in a professional but an endearing way, like, holy crap, I'm talking yeah, to yeah, Joe yeah, Alessi. Sure. Right, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and so, but there's room for all of that, right? There's room for, yeah, there's, and, and again, to circle back to that previous point, some people just want to hear Joe talk about trombones, and then other people love the fact that anytime I talk to him uh, on into a microphone, I remind him that the New York Yankees have only won one World Series in the last 20 years, which is pathetic, and he should be embarrassed because <laughs> I hate them. Uh, and uh, and then he gives the crap back to me, and then, you know, like some people love that. Some people wish it wasn't there. You just got to do your thing. Right, right. You got to do your thing, yeah. and your thing is your thing, and that's how you're remarkable to some people. And then you just, you know, you got to double down on you, which again sounds like such self help. Like, you know, it sounds like a, a book that you charge twenty bucks for, and there's like one dollar worth of value, but it's true. You just you got to be you. Yeah, Andrew, this has been a very, very enjoyable. Um, Agreed. Agreed. Thank you so much. Seems like we could talk f- for a long time, and I would. I mean, I'm already hoping that sometime in the future we'll just bring you back on the show and talk about whatever we're going to talk about. Next week sounds great. <laughs> Let's do it every week. Um, <laughs> I'm your new co-host, by the way. I don't know, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I suppose this would be a good place to. That was a really beautiful sort of. Uh, I think place to put a pin on it. So. It's um, great. Although I want to interrupt you because I want to, uh, if I may, I want to just thank you for putting everything out that you put out into the world because it is easier to not start than it is to start. It's easier to stop once you've started than to, and this doesn't mean by the way that you should never stop, right? Because at some point you might decide that this part of your journey is over, but it's like, it's very valuable what you're putting out into the world. And uh, I think that everybody who has the courage to do that and keep showing up needs to be thanked. So thank you for continuing to do that. Yeah, I appreciate that very much. Your support and encouragement is, I mean, anybody's means the world to me, no doubt. But for someone who is doing the thing too, and even more in depth, that means a lot. So I appreciate that. Yeah, man. Um, I think we'll just have you, however many ways people can find you and get to know like what different things you're doing, uh, whatever that looks like for you, uh, feel free to share. Yeah, my website is andrewhits.com. Um, hitsacademy.com, which is just a, a part of my website there, is um, all of my like winning the auditions and inside the practice rooms and, uh, and lessons and clinics and all of that stuff. Um, but all of the things that I... Uh, to be salesy for a second, all of those clinics I mentioned, those are all available in the Hits Academy archives, um, you know, long term. So those are all for purchase. And uh, there's like a, a whole bunch of stuff coming up this summer. Uh, Pedalomedia.com um, is where you can find uh, everything like Brass Junkies related. And then I think the last one is uh, tem.fm is the, uh, the website for uh, the Entrepreneurial Musician, um, which has uh, not had... Uh, episodes as frequently as late of late, but that's going to kind of kick back up. So I became a a virtual uh, first grade, uh, you know, a teacher for my yeah. son, uh, which uh, he's in Spanish immersion, and I don't speak Spanish, so it's been uh, <laughs> it's been it's been an adventure. So yeah. you know, like it should be, you know, the gotta ignore the shoulds, and um, you know, it's it's been great. But um, but yeah, those are the those are the main things. Hits Academy, tem.fm, and uh, and pedalomedia.com. Yeah, that was something I was I had ho- 
plans to to dig into is uh, sort of the stay at home dad type uh, vibe because it looks like it's just provides you with amazing opportunities to go to museums and do all sorts of awesome stuff. But now we'll have to save that for next time, I guess. Next time, next next week. Sounds good. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if anybody needs to get in touch with me, you can do that on that'snotspit.com. Also, that's not spit on Facebook and Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving it a rating and a review on iTunes. And don't forget to share it on social media so other people can find it and enjoy it themselves. Andrew, thank you one more time for being on the show. It's a total pleasure. Oh, just great to yeah, get man. to know you. Hey, this might be an episode where you get some ratings like he should talk, the host should talk more. So yeah, that, that, <laughs> maybe. You, I'm going to balance things I'll out I'll know where that you, comes so. from. Yeah. <laughs> I'll know which one to point at. Um, Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'd like to thank Brandon Yoakum for his work on mastering this episode of the podcast. And most of all, I'd like to thank you for listening. Stay strong, be kind to yourself, never stop growing, and we'll see you next time. Hello, 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 that's not spit fans, and welcome to the secret message of today's episode. Today's secret message is just a reminder that it's okay to practice positive self-talk. It's okay to say good things to yourself. It's okay to tell yourself that you're okay, that you're doing great, and that, you know, your hair doesn't look that bad, actually. In fact, you're having a great hair day. So... If you find yourself being too critical of yourself, give that voice a rest for a little bit and say something nice to yourself for a change. Oh, and remember, shh, don't tell Ryan. <laughs>